Hello, and welcome back to the Glossy Week in Review podcast. I'm your host, senior fashion reporter Danny Parisi, and I'm here with our international reporter, Zofia Zviglinska. How's it going, Zofia? Yeah, good, thank you. Lovely to be on again. Yeah, it's always good to have you. Uh, today, we're going to be talking about some major shakeups in the, the luxury world. We'll start by talking about LVMH had their earnings this week, uh, and I think the results of those earnings kind of shook the faith in the continued growth of the luxury sector, so we'll talk a little bit about that. Um, that will probably flow into our second topic, which is about luxury demand in China and how that has not been quite as uh, uh, good as people were hoping, especially as you know luxury sales were going down elsewhere in the world. Um, and then finally, we'll talk about the Birkenstock IPO that happened earlier this week. Um, but let's start with LVMH and, and luxury stuff. So on Wednesday, LVMH reported their earnings and the sales were the slowest they've been in several years, I think. Um, LVMH is kind of like the top of the luxury crowd and has been for a long time. Um, and I feel like their earnings always are sort of a, a bellwether for what's happening with the rest of the industry. When LVMH is soaring and doing well, I feel like the rest of luxury kind of tends to follow. And then as soon as there's a little bit of a slowdown at LVMH, it's kind of a signal that the rest of the industry will probably see something similar. So um, I think their sales were up just like 1% or something like that. So it's not technically a decline, but it's definitely a, a big slowdown from the kind of massive growth they were seeing over the last couple of years. Um, and then that affected the share price of a bunch of other luxury companies. Um, at the end of the day on Wednesday, I, I, I copied down all these percentages. It's like LVMH was down 5% in their share price. Richemont was down 4%, carrying down 1%. Um, just, you know, you could see the ripple effect. Um, I have some thoughts on what could be causing some of this stuff, but Zofia, what do you, what do you make of that? Yeah. I mean, I think honestly, I kind of expected it. Um, I think especially at the beginning of the year, there was this expectation that um, sales would rebound, that revenue would increase, and that all of these very big kind of marketing moves by these companies would pay off. But there was already a little bit of, um, I guess, hesitation in terms of the the analysts on the luxury cause being like, you know, is this marketing spend too much? Is this something that will kind of end up hitting um the bottom line and i think that this is kind of something that has effectively affected the the revenues the company has spent so much on the marketing and now the revenues are not exactly showing that that has really worked out so i think it's going to be a switch in approaches and potentially um again a driver into maybe different categories because obviously there's been such a focus on these like uber luxury categories um to try and rein in that ultra luxury spender um, and perhaps now we'll see more of these brands looking at those accessible pieces or entry pieces like you know like accessories which has always been the kind of clear winner there yeah I, I think that's a good point and I kind of had the same feeling I I, I think that luxury is probably going to continue to split where we'll have brands either chasing the uh, the high-end customer who is you know ultra wealthy and will just spend uh anything and everything on, you know, the brands that they like. And then I think we'll see maybe some luxury brands doing, like you're saying, uh, maybe try to appeal to a larger audience by lowering some prices or maybe introducing some more accessible um, categories or products. I always think about how at, at the Tiffany store, when you first walk in, they would put the 
the wallets and leather goods like right in the front, which is the cheapest thing in the whole store. It's still expensive, but it's also the most affordable. Um, and that was kind of like, you know, if you're the the deep Tiffany customer who's there to spend tens of thousands of dollars on some jewelry, you'll just walk right past that and go straight to the jewelry counter. But if you're sort of more aspirational, you'll come in and maybe just stick around that front area. Um, I, I think we'll probably see more luxury brands kind of going one way or the other. Um, I also feel like there's a little bit of a, maybe this is totally speculation on my part, but I wonder if there's a little bit of exhaustion even from the customer that can afford um, these, you know, the most expensive brands and the most expensive products just because they've been sort of what the luxury brands have leaned on for the last couple of years and the prices keep going up. And even if you can spend that money, I wonder if there's, you know, a little bit of a sense of, okay, I've bought all the expensive random stuff that I need anymore. I was just reading an article the other day about some, uh, I'm forgetting the name of the company. It was a home decor thing and they had this like light switch that was, you know, tens of thousands of dollars and all these rich people were buying this specific light switch. And I was like, okay, we're running out of things to spend a ton of money on at this point. <laughs> Is, do, do, you, do you think that there might be some truth to that? That's just my theory. I don't know if there's any evidence to back that up. Yeah, definitely. I think that, you know, there was a big impetus to spend, I'd say, more last year than this year. Um, and I do think that, you know, because of the various economic issues, rising interest rates, like those kind of things still affecting people in that kind of top bracket. And, you know, especially with, you know, the rents issues, the housing aspect, like all of those places where people would typically have a lot of money stored that is kind of having a knock-on effect on spending. And it might just be that, yeah, they're just sick and tired of spending on random stuff um, and want to, you know, put their money in something more stable as well because a lot of these um, items will depreciate over time rather than, you know, appreciating like a sound investment. Yeah, yeah, that that's definitely true. And, and then to the point of, you know, the strategy of maybe offering something a little more accessible to an aspirational customer, I think that's also fraught because of inflation and, you know, people's spending power is limited at that lower end that I I don't know. There might be a, a luxury brand that's thinking if we offer something a little more accessible, maybe we can bring in, you know, a larger crowd, but I don't know if that crowd is there. You know, if the people who could maybe just barely afford Louis Vuitton, if they just offered something a little more affordable, I don't know, they might already be spending their money elsewhere at this point. So, um, and I don't know if the just the brand name and the brand value itself is enough to bring those customers in because they're not used to spending like that and spending uh, that amount of money just for a name, you know? Yeah, definitely. I think, again, that opens up that kind of realm of experiences and how brands can tap into that. The Gucci Cosmos exhibition is just opening in London um, and I believe that Louis Vuitton is planning to opening a hotel. Um, so I think it's more about, you know, weighing into other categories that may not necessarily be tied directly into product, but still have, um, you know, revenues that go back to the brand in other ways, whether that's through, um, you know, kind of museum tickets, experience tickets, um, all of the merchandise that those kind of places sell. I think I remember you writing a piece about the Met you know, on their gift shop. Mm -hmm. I think that that's something that... Oh, it was um, MoMA. Yeah, sorry, MoMA. Um, but that is something that, you know, could be an additional revenue for brands right now who are looking for maybe different ways to 
position that accessibility because you know product at times can be even that can be inaccessible you know especially for people who want to do things again and again and there are a lot of people who end up going to the exhibitions like multiple times for example or you know who might need to book multiple times at a hotel so I think that that's where it's going in my opinion yeah no I I completely agree um let's move on to our second topic though which again is kind of very heavily interrelated with what we've just been talking about. But I wanted to talk a little bit about the luxury market in China. Um, I think before the LVMH earnings this week, there was a, a feeling that, um, you know, when the rest of the world uh, luxury sales were flagging, we could rely on North America. And then when North American sales are flagging, we can rely on China. Like, I feel like China has been sort of the bedrock for a lot of luxury brands. It's been a strong market and it's stayed strong um, relatively strong through the various ups and downs of the uh, the, the pandemic years. Um, but I don't think that has totally been holding true. I think even in China, we're starting to see some uh, lower demand for luxury goods. Um, I have some theories on on why that might be, but uh, let's how about you start as what, what's your thought on the Chinese luxury market and do you like do you agree that even there it's not kind of you know the the uh, bedrock that luxury brands are hoping it would be? Yeah, definitely. I think that, you know, China's got the same problems that everyone else does. And again, there was a lot of issues with, um, I think it was a default on um, some housing buildings that were going up. um, And that was something that affected the country widely. Um, And there's been, you know, growing concerns in general around, um, you know, how it came out of the pandemic, because obviously it had such an extended period compared to the rest of the world that it affected all of those consumer segments as well. Um, And I think the other thing is that also there is a very big and growing local um, Chinese kind of fashion scene, which I think is also contributing to maybe taking away some of that demand for luxury brands that have already kind of existed in that market for quite a while. Um, So I guess domestic brands would bring a sense of novelty and potentially, again, like that um, interest in the national kind of um, fashion one factor that I think about a lot is that the Chinese luxury consumer is very young um, on average. Uh, they're a lot younger than the the luxury customer in other parts of the world. I think the average age is 28 in China for a luxury customer. Um, I don't know exactly what the age is in Europe, but I'm sure it's much older than that. Um, and I think that's a good thing in the long term. And I think that's part of the reason uh, so many luxury brands have been very bullish on China in the long run is because they've got this these young loyal customers who hopefully will continue to buy from these brands, you know, for many decades to come. Um, however, I do think the younger customer is more, even if they have a lot of money is more susceptible to some of the, um, you know, whims of the economy than an older customer might be. Uh, I know that China has a lot of, uh, unemployment among young people and that that's been growing recently. And, you know, even if you have a lot of money that, um, or even if you buy regularly from a luxury brand, which doesn't necessarily mean that you have a ton of money, you might just be spending the money that you do have. Um, I think that's just, it's just a more vulnerable population to short-term stuff, even if it's good in the long run. Does that make sense? Yeah, I think so. Um, I do think that, you know, with a younger customer, I guess they're also more fickle um, at times, even though they might have that initial kind of loyalty 
in this day and age, I, I guess I find it quite hard to imagine that someone would be loyal to a brand for their whole life. Um, but obviously, these um, some these brands sometimes count on national differences. And I know that you know, especially certain luxury brands in China are very popular. Um, and I think that that probably will play into you know a longer term loyalty than perhaps um, other markets and other demographics of a similar age. Yeah, for sure. Um, cool. Okay, let's move on to our last topic, which is Birkenstock, which went public this week. Um, I am working on a story about IPOs and the IPO market in fashion right now. And actually, by the time this podcast comes out, my briefing should be out as well. So I'll have a lot more in-depth thoughts on this topic there where you can read it. But I, I did want to talk about um, Birkenstock IPO'd on Wednesday, I believe. And um, they started with a, a, an $8 billion valuation. That was kind of their um, their opening pricing. And uh, But within the first day, their shares their share price dropped about 12% and put its valuation around $7 billion. Um, and it just, I wanted to talk about this because, uh, you know, on the one hand, I think the IPO market has been kind of quiet for a while in fashion. There has been fewer brands going public. Um, but then recently, it seems like it's kind of been ramping up. Birkenstock is doing it. There's rumors for a bunch of other brands like Skims and uh, Viore are probably going to go public sometime soon. And it just seems very common to have this exact experience where you go public and on the very first day your shares drop by like 20% or something, um, which just can't it can't be a good thing. Um, and I don't really know why these companies keep setting their valuation so high. I think that's why it you have that precipitous drop right away is because they start with such a high valuation. And I don't really know why they do that because I feel like that sets such a, a poor tone for the future of the company. I don't really understand what the strategy is there, but that's why I think they often stumble. Um, I know like there's been several IPOs recently that have all kind of had a similar trajectory. Um, Instacart in the US and Deliveroo in the UK both had like the exact same kind of thing. Um, I don't know. What are your thoughts, uh, Zofia, on that whole idea? Yeah, I mean, I, I completely agree with you there. I think that putting the valuation up so high um, also just doesn't seem like a very Birkenstock kind of move. Like the company has been around for a very long time. It understands longevity and playing for that long game. Um, so perhaps it was, you know, there's some kind of other reason why they decided to overinflate it perhaps a little bit. Um, and then, you know, maybe there will be a stabilization later on. Um, but I do think that it's one of those brands, you know, considering all of the different IPOs that have happened over the last 10 years, it does seem like one that will stick. Um, it's not, you know, um, I guess a kind of recent or newer um, D2C brand that might, you know, not see as much demand. It's something that has um, a great history and a great product. Um, so I think it's more of a case of maybe just fashion IPOs have, you know, trouble getting onto that market um, initially. And then, you know, depending on um, the appetite, will either succeed or fail. Yeah, actually, you, you raise a good point, and I should have mentioned this earlier, but it's not it's not a disastrous opening for Birkenstock. It's it's not great to immediately start with a 12% drop, but it's it's not a disaster. And I do think that Birkenstock is you know, well-positioned in a lot of ways. Um, they were just in Barbie, and that, like, has been, you know, such a good thing for so many brands who were involved in that movie. Um, 
the, on the valuation thing, I was reading back to some stories I had written last year, and I remember talking to Lon Vaughn ahead of their IPO at the end of last year, and they intentionally cut their own valuation. They lowered it um, before the IPO, specifically to avoid that issue, not wanting to have the first day be a drop, because then that sets this whole tone of not meeting expectations. They wanted to lower their valuation and maybe start with a bump up and kind of just set this like positive uh, upward trajectory kind of growth, but they still there's their shares still fell on the first day anyway. I think it was like twenty twenty five percent or something. So I don't even know how you avoid that. I mean, I think you don't want to undervalue your company, um, even though you you know even though a bump on the first day might be nice. You also run the risk, I think, of undervaluing your company, and then everybody just kind of believes that, and they're like, oh well, it's not that valuable, and you might still have the drop. I'm, I'm not sure if that's exactly what happened with Lanvon, but it does seem like some companies are aware of that dynamic and they try to avoid it and they kind of still end up falling into it anyway. Yeah, I think it's just that that fashion brand aspect. Maybe it's just something, you know, we can bring an investor on to talk about a little bit, but um, I think it's something that, you know, a lot of brands seem to struggle with. Um, and I'm interested to see some more of um, the possible IPOs that are coming, particularly from um, Skims, um, just because I think that, you know, celebrity-led brands, um, I wouldn't say do particularly well in that space, but it's always interesting to see it from such a big um, personality. And if that would be the case, will there be a big drop-off there or would that actually um, negate the trend and go up on an optic? Yeah. Well, um, we will definitely be keeping track of any potential Skims IPO. And like I said, uh, I have a fashion briefing that is likely out right now um, when this podcast comes out where you can read a little bit more uh, about this topic. But I think that's all the time we have this week. Uh, Zofia, thank you so much for joining. It's always great to have you on. Thank you so much. Such a fun couple of topics. Yeah. Um, For those of you listening, don't forget to give us a rating and a review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify wherever you listen to this, um, because that helps us out a lot. And uh, don't forget to subscribe to the Glossy Podcast because you'll hear interviews with industry insiders every Wednesday and we can review episodes every Friday. So until the next time, thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.